You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pacers fans, welcome in to a super exciting playoff edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm a staff writer at IndieCornrows.com and the lovely co-host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. And it was such an exciting game that even before we started recording, my man Tony East, who's on the other line, we were already debating the Pacers. Tony, Pacers pulled this one out. It was awesome. It was so awesome, and our debate was just us saying the same things and just pumping each other up because <laughs> the game was so exciting. And like that was, that was just the best case scenario. I had not a dang clue that this was gonna. I I, I knew this could have happened, but I didn't think it would happen. It was awesome. And that's a good place to start a best case scenario because we were talking about this before the show, before we started recording. That you know, for people outside the Pacers bubble, that I consider was kind of like the Indie Cornrows people and the A-Plant people and the people that follow those. And there's kind of like a little Pacers Twitter bubble, I would say. They are probably like extremely shocked by this game. But for people like you and me who have watched them all year, have been following them, of scenarios, we saw this could be a possibility. I'm not going to say we predicted it. Neither of us would have been like, oh, yeah, they're going to just basically blow out the Cavs and basically never blow this game. I think they had to lead the entire time. Like they're, but, we, yeah. but we said, but in my mind, I'm like, that could happen, like, they did it this year to the Cavs three times already. Like this team at their peak is probably better than this Cavs team if they're not at their peak. So we aren't surprised, but the national media is just, I mean, they were all, they're falling over themselves. I mean, Twitter right now, all the national guys are coming and watching this game. They're like, they're all dumbfounded that this team is that good. It's insane because even I picked Cavs in five. Like I thought the Pacers had no chance in this. The improved Cavs would kill them. And I know I'm doing a big word, like a victory lap. Even though I'm wrong, I'm calling it a victory lap because the Pacers won. But it's game one, we should probably calm down a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say we're pumping them up after one game, which we probably shouldn't do, which is a bad idea. But I mean, man, that they looked awesome, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, and the things we saw today are transferable, and they did a lot of things actually uh, not that well that they can easily do well next game. Which I think at the end of this podcast we'll do uh, what can they do better? Both teams looking to game two, but. Just this game, the the defense was so good, and it seemed like that is easily just you can keep playing that way. I don't know what the Cavs' recipe to fixing, you know, their offenses because for years, what killed the Pacers last year in the playoffs at least was LeBron point LeBron essentially, where he would come in, he would drive in, he would draw defenders and kick out the shooters. But this year, the way the Pacers' defense is set up is they're designed to kind of beat that style because they close out on shooters so well, and they do a really good job of sort of. They did a good job of trapping LeBron at times, and their their hands are all over the place, so they cut off his passing lanes all the time and knock the balls. I mean, it was just – it's the kind of things that we've seen all year, and to really see it in action against the best player was even just awesome. Yeah, their defense, especially Vic's closeouts, um, but everyone's closeouts were so good in this game. Um, you know, the the fir- I said this on uh, before we started, but the first and fourth quarter, the Cavs scored a combined 29 points. That's less than the Pacers had just the first quarter when they scored 33. Um, they were really shutting down every angle – and you're right that the, that the solution really was how they defended LeBron, which was as soon as he got in the lane, send two guys at him and make him kick it out. Um, and they always had a guy on the strong side ready to defend that shooter. Um, and you'll you'll just hope you don't get beat by a weak side shooter. And LeBron's one of the guys who can get the weak side shooter the ball. But in this game, he really struggled with it for some reason. And uh, even when he did get the right guy the ball, they just shots weren't falling. So the Pacers really did a good job of, of, of helping on that regard. Well, I think part of it, too, is he didn't have, I don't think, two great corner three-pointers on the court at the same time. Right. I mean, it was – he had JR for a little bit, but Corver really didn't play. Corver is still hurt. And I don't think Wait, can I, can I interject for a second? Yeah, go ahead. The only time they did have two great 
like corner three shooters in when they had JR and Lovin in the middle of the third. That's when they went on their biggest run. Like I feel like that should have been more, but they didn't do it more. Yeah, and I, some of it though is you know JR gets hot, but he also get really cold at times. He so I, I don't know if you know in a whole series, I'm not sure he's going to be able to shoot 50. Right. That's what. Right. That's why it's like if if you lose, you know, like we said I think before the series, you know, you're going to get one or two JR games. We're going to kill you, but it's surviving the it's taking advantage of ones he doesn't do great in. So. That's what also is kind of encouraging. This might have been his best and one of his good games. So if you survive one of his good games, that means you're not going to get that many more. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm another guy who deserves a ton of credit in that same regard. Like, obviously, JR is not going to, like, could be either way. But Thad Young um, only shot four times, but he deserves a ton of credit for his defense. Um, he was a team high, first of all, plus 23, which is not like a fluke. Like, he was that good. And he did amazing on Kevin Love. Kevin Love. Did not make any non-three-pointer shot this entire game. He missed his free throw. He missed both of his two-pointers. Um, he was killing it on the glass. I'll give Kevin Love a ton of credit for that. But uh, Thad did a great job, like, not letting him get open and shutting him down when he did get the ball and ripping it away a few times. Like, Thad was great. Yeah, I, I thought outside of Vic, Thad was the second-best player of the game. I agree. Just because I of, totally agree. Because, I mean, we talk about it every time, all the little tiny things he does. Him, His presence on the court, because he is – so good at cutting behind defenders and sort of sneaking away. You can't, you have to kind of always be watching him, which leaves the lane even more open. I mean, we should probably talk about that at one point, but before we move, talk about, you know, the amount of layups the Patriots basically hit and how they just dominated <laughs> getting to the rim. I think we talked about the three point shooting because Bro, were, both were, teams had weird three point shooting, but you were talking about before the podcast, how it feels like they missed a lot of open threes, right? It it, has, it, yes. It I agree. feels that way. And I, I agreed with you a little bit. But if you look at the way the Pacers have played the Cavs this year, they played five times and won four times. And almost every time the Cavs shoot between 20 and 30% from three. I mean, yeah. in the four wins. Least. So it becomes kind of this thing where, was this an anomaly or is this a continuation of a thing we've seen because the Pacers defense is set up so well to close out on shooters that it, this might just be the way the Cavs shoot against the Pacers because they're so good on defense. No, I, I definitely think that's a possibility. I didn't know that stat until you told me before the game. Um, but I totally think that that's something that could be a thing that they keep up with. I mean, there's a reason they were able to beat them so much in the regular season. Um, but, you know, like, like we, you said at the start, you know, uh, it just seems like some of them were open that just weren't going in. And you got to think some more of those at least going. Like maybe they get up to 30%. Like I highly doubt we'll see another game where Calderon, Clarkson, and Corver, and LeBron, and Jeff Green all miss all their threes. But at the same time, you know, Kevin Love was hot. Jared was hot. So, I mean, they're going to be better than 23.5%, I'd say, but maybe not a ton better. But, like, so let's say the only way they win this game is if they shoot – 50% from three. If you yeah. do the math, well, I mean, look at it. They won by 18, so they had hit seven more threes to win this game, which would put them at 15 of 34. So not, not quite 50%, but close to it. Oh, which yeah. I don't know if they can do that with Jeff Green and LeBron on the floor, honestly, all the time. Jeff, those Green, guys, Jeff Green was okay on D, but he was bad, on like horrible on offense. Well, and he's not a great three-point shooter. I mean, no, he's been, not. you know, and neither is really LeBron. I mean, LeBron is a lot of great everything else, but he's LeBron's like not going to just like – a swish shots on your face all day, which you saw a little bit because he would. You watched Lance on D. Lance played a little bit off him. Same with Bowen. They kind of gave him a little space. The old Ka Kawhi trick was like, let LeBron shoot his jumper and make him win, beat you that way because he that's the best chance you have against him. It is. It totally is. And that worked. I mean, we'll get to this in a second, I'm sure. But Bowen like didn't suck guarding him in this game. No, I think that's the next player we should talk about because he did okay. Because Bowen came out with. He seemed like the only pacer, I guess, besides Vic and Turner. He was one of the three guys that didn't seem nervous. He didn't come out, and you right. saw none of this. Like you saw with Vic a little bit, a little jittery. He missed, I think, his first, maybe his first two shots because he just kind of like he, he hit the back of the rim, like overpowering a little too much energy. But Boyan came out and it was like he knew what he wanted to do: get the ball, go to the rim, get fouled, and did that like three or four straight times. I know he didn't have a great shooting game overall, but he just 
he just seemed like he knew what he was doing out there better than some players. Like there seemed like there was some experience there that I didn't expect there to be. No, he gets to the rim twice in the first quarter and got fouled both times. Um, and you know, he's a quality free throw shooter. He made all four of them in this game. You know, he and his impact goes beyond everything. Like he's a plus 19 when he shot 29% from the field. Like he just spaces everything out. He does a lot of, I mean, I've been preaching how great he is all season, but he was like really good in this game and three steals. Like Boyan and Vic combined had as many steals as the whole Cavs team. That's crazy. Boyan was like great. Boy, and I, I have to give props to the coaching because it, they have to yes. be telling Boyan, if LeBron comes in the lane and tries to back you down, just keep swatting at him and maybe you'll deflect one. That's basically what he did. He was able to basically just kind uh -huh. of be a nuisance to LeBron. And what's crazy is, you know, I heard they were talking about how are the Pacers going to even play Boyan against LeBron? How would they hide him against whatever on D? But Boyan looked like a like he could take LeBron for a little while. Like I understand he's not going to do it the entire game and Steve's is a better defender, but Boyan looked 100% confident on LeBron. Yeah, he did. I mean, I can't believe that he didn't suck in this one. It was amazing. And I'll give Boyan this credit too. Second most steals. Second most rebounds on the team. Like, when does he show up in those areas? That's insane. It's also because the Pacers helped him out. I mean, they did yeah. a really good job of, you know, like you said, double teaming, but then helping on the on the weak side or the strong side with the with the with the roaming defender. They they just they they didn't put Bowen in a bad position. They didn't just say Bowen one on one, LeBron beat him. It was like Bowen stay in front of him, and then we'll bring over help as you get as you get close to the rim. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it was working great. I mean, but he did his job to do that, you know, to force him to go middle instead of letting him get beat baseline. And I wonder if that's partially why he shot so bad because he had to play so R&D, you know, that there's a correlation between that. Hey, I'll take I'll take the game he had if he shoots bad and plays that good at D. And so that's probably a good transition to a guy who didn't play on D. And I was confused by this decision. And why was LeBron guarding Darren Collison? I was literally just dumb. Yeah, that seemed like weird. a stupid decision. It was this weird. He wasn't like totally guard he guarded like someone else a lot you know he wasn't he was on cost the most but he was like shifting around a lot but that was a very very odd decision I mean. no but if you watch i at least i thought most of the time it was Collison would go slink out to the corner when people had the ball and lebron would just sit there like they were trying not to use lebron on d and the pacers just carved up the middle of the floor i mean they went to the rim they just kept attacking the rim constantly and getting a ton of what seemed like dunks and easy layups and things like that because there was no fear of anybody like to stop them almost yeah, well, I think the thought was LeBron can hang out on Collison in the corner and then help off all the time. But well, then you can't because Collison's a 45% three-point shooter. You can't, and they did a great job of making sure Collison didn't just stay in the corner, like actually moving him around and cutting him through the lane so LeBron can't just stand around. Yeah, I we should probably also give huge props to Nate McMillan. I mean, I, this was the – job what, in this game. Outside, this of, outside of the Novick lineups, he did amazing in this game. No, but he even was really good that he pulled the trigger. In the, in the fourth quarter, he immediately called timeout and took Stevens in and put Vic in. It was yes. no, like, I'm going to wait and see. It was like 10-22, Vic, you're going in. Like, yep. And that and that really saved the game because at that point, it was like a, probably a seven- or nine-point game. And Vic came in and hit three straight shots, and that kind of almost sealed the game at that point. I mean, that was a huge it kind of extended it and just sort of pushed him away. Well, another – crucial part of that is he got Lance out of the game because Lance was terrible on that stretch. Well, also it's because <laughs> they, they weren't running any offense and that could just no. be Lance. Lance not doing that or just not knowing like what to do with, you know, this is the problem when Carlson was hurt is Lance with the bench unit. When he becomes the primary ball handler, it's just like, you don't know what you're doing. He doesn't have the same skill set as a Carlson or a Joseph, even, or even Vic at being able to, you know, draw defenders in and make the right pass. Stevenson's always kind of thinking, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my little floater or push shot within eight feet. And it's, goes in sometimes and you get lucky when it does but most time it's just a terrible shot terrible shot i mean outside of his dunk which first of all wow that was insane um but outside of his dunk he really made a lot of boneheaded shots um but he was one for four from three but i think were all of his threes corner threes 
You know what? I that that sounds right. I feel like there was one at the top of the key he pulled up on, but I also remember he hit one of the he hit a three during like when a foul was called that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, and I just knew when he hit that he was going to try to he's going to stat hunt for one. But I am really cool with Lance shooting corner threes. That's the only one I want him to take. And when he hit it in the first quarter, it was a huge momentum kind of thing. It really pushed him, and he was really good on D against LeBron in that first half, at least. Oh, he was. No, he did a great job, and he was minorly in his head, which was great. Um, and he committed a flagrant foul, which I think actually was a flagrant foul, unlike most people. But um, No, yeah. it was. He hit him in the head. The first yeah, one wasn't. Then they got that in call, but the they last got it, They got that one right, yeah. Yeah, he hit him in the head, but like it didn't do it on purpose. Like, it wasn't like he was – He, he was went for the ball, and then LeBron pulled the ball down. It was that easy. Yeah, and, it, and it's fine. He'll get called for text. That's worth it because if as long as he's just – LeBron knows if I'm – the Blance is on me and I'm isolating him, I'm going to get hit or aggressive and – it gets in people's heads to think I can't like go in the lane because it's gonna it's gonna hit me every time almost. And so it's yeah. you, you take that technical whatever it was it was called a flag, I think it's called a tech, whatever it is, you take it because honestly it's like he's it it maybe gets in LeBron just a little bit, which leads to like one less bucket, which can completely change the game. Yeah, exactly. He did he did a nice job. That's his thing in these uh Lance versus LeBron rivalries. It, it's just getting in his head and playing aggressive defense. And if he shoots five of eleven while also doing that, that's an added bonus. Yeah, so Lance was one of Nine players to play in this game. So what do you think of the Pacers going to a nine-man rotation? Uh, if you listen to Lockdown NBA, I talked about this too with Josh Lloyd. Um, I think that the thought would be it's going to be nine guys, but who's the last guy going to be? Um, and I think it might be series-dependent, but I think it makes sense to go Booker uh, against the Cavs, and it worked well in this. Um, but I like the nine-man rotation just because, as we've been preaching all year, they have such cohesive guys, that, and that's one of Nate's strengths is he gets the right groups of five out there that work together. But I like going with 90 because you can really keep high energy guys on the court that still are in lineups that work too well together. Yeah. And I actually kind of liked, at least in the fourth quarter, the Sabonis and Booker on this court at the same time with Vic. Uh-huh. That worked really well. You know, I, I always get kind of nervous when you have two kind of like basically non-shooting three guys, non-three point shooting guys out there, but they were, they're a good, they're a good guy, guys to have out there when you have a lead because they will, they'll, they're fight pretty hard on defense. Like they can fight through screens and they're just like, they're tough to out rebound when you have those two guys on the floor and that sort of, Help, especially when he's missing so many shots than the Cavs were. Yeah, Booker is a beast on the glass. I mean, like, you can't even really tell how – I don't even know how it happens because it's definitely something that doesn't happen when he's on the court. But, like, he plays 11 minutes, only shoots once, gets four rebounds a minute, and then he's a plus six. Like, that happens all the time. I don't know what he does that's, like, so game-altering, but he seems like he always is a positive. He, he also reminds me in the rebounding sense of, like, a Charles Barkley, Draymond Green, where, like, he's a little undersized, but, like, he has probably really long arms, I would guess, and he just does a really good job boxing you out and just snagging it. Like, there was, like, there was one offensive rebound where I, like, couldn't believe he pulled it out of the air and then he got fouled on it. Like, he just – I don't know. I, I don't know how he does it, but he seems to sort of be able to just, like, be in the right spot and use his body to get to get really easy rebounds. He does, and you know how you counter him is Tristan Thompson, which the Cavs did not play, and I think their rotation was pretty interesting. Yeah, so that's what you talk about next is the Cavs rotation. Um, so the Cavs basically went. I would I mean they played. They ended up playing what twelve guys, I think. So let's let's go with all the surprises. Um, so Calicor was hurt, so that does throw a wrench in everything. Um, but they played eight guys essentially. I mean, they played. Guys. Yeah, I was gonna say they played eight guys, nine guys essentially. Um, they started Jeff Green. Did not expect that at all. Um, with uh, Chris Manning told me about that. You, I'm sure you heard it on our last episode. Um, but Jeff Green started with the plan of guarding Lodipo. Didn't work. Yeah, that definitely didn't work. They did not work. went right out the door. They, they they put George Hill on for a minute too. Yeah, that didn't work. At that all. also didn't work. Oh, okay. Well, tangent. George Hill was terrible. 
He was because he's not good anymore. He's old. He's not good anymore. George Hill was bad. He's washed up. People in Sacramento have been saying that forever, but all of us thought, oh, we'll get the – We'll get a playoff. George Hill, he's just not that good anymore. Air ball the floater. He's bad. He's um, too many injuries adding up. Yeah. Um, Jeff Green starting did not work. And then Kyle Korver came in, first sub for um, Rodney Hood. He was bad and he got hurt. Um, he was hurt or he got re-hurt, something like well, that. Well, he might be done for the series, which would be a bummer. Um, and then Nance was good. I'll give Larry Nance credit. He was good. Um, and JR was hot in this one. And then Clarkson was, you know, a colander on defense and was two for six shooting. Other than that, you know, Calderon only got nine minutes, which is about you expected from him. Missed all his shots. Uh, no Tristan Thompson, which is the key thing here because I thought his rebounding would be scary. Uh, no Chetty Osman, a quality wing defender. So the Cavs rotation was, I mean, the guys they should play, but it, it was very interesting to see how it shook out. I just wonder also, too, LeBron played 44 minutes, and I was looking at LeBron's, like, career playoff numbers, and he really doesn't – I mean, he averaged, like, between usually like 39 and 42 minutes per game in the playoffs. I wonder if he has to play 44 – and this series goes six or seven, if that could actually like weigh on him. I know he's a freak of nature and what it is, but like I do remember in the 2013 playoffs when he was forced to play the stretch four and guard David West, it, it weighed on LeBron a little bit. Like he definitely you could see by the end of games he was struggling because he was having to bang against David West the entire game. You could kind of see it. Yeah, he definitely was. Um, and that's something I think that they might they might like to do this series. I don't know. The problem uh, is if they don't play LeBron, I don't know how they're getting scoring. They, yeah, even I mean, he was a minus thirteen in his forty-three minutes, and they lost by eighteen. So they were minus five in five minutes without LeBron. That's uh, that's not going to work. Yeah, and well, I just mean that. How do they get their scoring? Because they don't really have. I mean, they don't have another point guard almost. I mean, they have no, George no. Hill, but they, I don't. You know, you have to play. You have to trust like Jose Calderon to have the best shot creator, J.R. Smith. Yeah, honestly, it might be. I mean, and, and only he's only because he's such a threat to pull up on you. That's basically yeah. why. He's the, I mean, I think Kevin Love actually should needs to get some more. Whatever, if they're going to have any success, Kevin Love needs to need to start playing through more. Like they really just kind of said, Kevin, you're kind of over there shooting threes, and sort of didn't really try to set him up for anything because I thought he played probably the best of any non-LeBron player. But I just don't know where they get the the ball handling if if LeBron is not on the floor. Like I just don't think Clarkson's good enough to really be your ball handler. Calderon maybe, but then they don't have enough offense surrounding those guys. Rodney, I thought Rodney Hood would be that guy before the game started. Um, he's been finishing around the rim really well in Cleveland. He's an all right three point shooter. Uh, he can dribble a little bit, but he was not good either. So I don't know what their options are. I also think one big thing is I think they came with the same game plan they ran last year against the Pacers, and I think they thought it would work again, but this is a completely different team. What I mean is like what we said earlier is the game plan is the point LeBron create everything by drawing people in and kicking out, and I think they didn't. They thought – I'm not sure even – I feel like the Cavs might not even watch the Pacers, like prep for them to be honest, it seems like. Like they just – it seemed like they thought they could run the same thing they ran last year in the playoffs and it worked, and the Pacers were ready for it for once because they've seen it a lot, and they're like, they're going to run this and we'll beat this somehow. Yeah, they uh, they were definitely ready for the Cavs' game plan of the of the shooters' lineups. You know, they got their closeouts working and really overloaded the strong side. Um, I t- totally agree with that, and I, I don't know what to say about the Cavs' um, adjustments, I guess, because they're a new team, and I admittedly only watched them probably two or three times after their, all their trades. But the, ro- the, the rotation probably feeds into this, too. I just didn't really know what kind of adjustments they would make. And it seems like they made all the wrong ones, which was just, you know, let LeBron do his thing and see if it works. And LeBron did have a triple-double, but his shot wasn't falling, and he was largely not as effective as he usually is. Yeah, I would imagine J.R. Smith starts the game over Adam, you want a live quote from LeBron that just happened in a press Sure, conference? then I'll say what I was going to say. Go ahead. LeBron James, quote, I'm down 0-1 in the first round. I was down 3-1 in the finals. I'm the last guy to ask about how you're going to feel in the next couple of days. LeBron is, you gotta give him credit. The dude. I'll give him that. That's the right answer. No, and he's a. I mean, 
I want the Pacers to beat LeBron, but LeBron's he's he's like good. He's just like he doesn't play mind games. He just like he just does his stuff almost. It feels like he doesn't like worry about all the other distractions. He just knows how to lock in in, in the playoffs, sort of. But what I'm gonna say is, I think J.R. Smith probably starts game two or should start game two. I think J.R. will start game two. I I was gonna say that with you because. You know, we're going to blow through all of our content for our game preview on Tuesday. But, um, or we'll just repeat it. It's fine. We'll repeat ourselves. Not a big deal. We do it all the time. I almost guarantee the Cavs change their starting lineup by the next game. Yeah, I, I would 100% bet that. Jeff I just, Green did not work at all. But, like, the thing is, if they start JR, doesn't that – so let's say, let's say they keep LeBron on, on Bojan, right? Or on uh, Collison. That means JR guards Bojan probably, right? Yeah. So I, And then maybe Bojan has a really good game because he can basically just – JR gets – Falls asleep half the time. He's like Jr. is a is a Lance version of a better shooting version of Lance Stevenson, basically, where he just falls asleep on D sometimes, and it's like, oh, Bones is going to kind of shuffle his feet a little bit, and he'll end up wide open corner threes all the all, all game. Well, the, the difference is even if Jr. is locked in on D, you know, Lance is a good defender when he's locked in. Jr. sucks all the yeah. time. <laughs> I, I just think Jr. and Lance are similar players in mindset, but they're like they're good yeah. opposite things. For Lance, it's like <laughs> he's got to be on the defensive end to be good, and Jr. has got to be hitting his three. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think that is the move that we'll make too. And Chris Manning will come on uh, Tuesday, right? Yeah, Tuesday's yeah. show to discuss what he what he thinks about this game. But I'll be curious if he thinks the starting lineup change is necessary. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good little preview. Um, let's, we got to take a quick break and then I'll talk about officiating after it. Oh, God. Welcome back in the Locked On Pacers podcast. Um, so you heard the Tony's, oh, God, maybe I'll stay in there. Maybe I cut it out by now. We'll find out <laughs> what it sounds like. But I heard him say, oh, God. When I said officiating, and this is not to hate on the officials. I don't want to do that. I just want to talk about it in general because you see it in the playoffs a lot, and you notice it. And it did feel a little bit like LeBron gets some favorable calls or gets a little more of the benefit of the doubt than other players. Now, I would agree the Lance thing was a flagrant foul. The first one was not. LeBron does a great job of flopping and sort of having this, like, like he got punched in the face look when he gets hit, so it's fine. But I do think there was a times where it felt like the officiating was just not good in general for either team. They were making some really just kind of bad calls on both ends of the floor for both I, teams. I did not actually notice them being that bad in the game myself, but everyone, like literally everyone else did, which makes me feel like maybe it was just me. Um, and I'm kind of partial to LeBron, which some people do not uh, enjoy. But anyway... You know, this dude is, what, 6'9", 280, 6'9", 300. Like, he's huge. Like, to bump LeBron and have him actually fall down, you have to drill him. It just doesn't look like it because you're smaller than him. So I think, you know, it's it's harder to recognize fouls on LeBron a lot. But at the same time, yes, he gets more superstar calls than anyone in the league. Yeah, so there's one play I'm referencing, and there was this play where Sabonis Fourth quarter, was – Sabonis foul. Yep, I agree. No, no, it was second quarter, actually. One I'm referring to. Oh. There were a couple of Sabonis fouls. The one I'm referring to is Sabonis went straight up in the air. LeBron drove in. Literally Sabonis. LeBron, like Euro steps Sabonis and may have brushed him, but it was it was contact caused by LeBron. And and somehow Sabonis got called for this foul where I'm I'm not even sure Bojan touched him or not Bojan. Uh Sabonis touched him, but somehow he got called for a foul. And that was just like it just bothered me because like they're, they're gonna call that stuff. Like I don't think he even it was like LeBron threw his head up, but probably didn't get touched, kind of flop almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, my Sabonis one was in the fourth quarter when they didn't call the bump on the Pacers. In the I forget who drove to the rim and they got bumped in the lane, no call. And then LeBron went in the lane and got bumped by Sabonis, and it was a foul. I think that was Turner that happened. Might have been, it might have been Turner. It was on. It was Turner. You're right because he was complaining about it, and he had yeah. a great case because it was back. It was literally back to back possessions. What well, it was like a play where Turner went in and he got fouled, but fine, let him play. But then Turner barely <laughs> touched him. Put, yeah, puts his forearm like nothing like. Motion. Also, they call a foul. It's like, 
come on, guys. If you're going to coach, you're going to call one thing, don't call the other thing. And it happened, too, with the traveling call where JR one play literally took seven steps to get to the rim, yet they call a travel on Vic, which was probably traveling, but it was the same kind of same kind of thing. If you're going to call on one and don't call on the other end kind of thing. Exactly. That was the, that was the only one I noticed because it was on back-to-back possessions. I'm usually really partial to officials, though, so I'm the worst guy to have this discussion with. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I just wanted to say I don't think that the officiating was that was that bad, but I wanted to use it also as a transition to talk about the Lance and LeBron thing because yeah, yeah, that was just it's the that that kind of whatever they have going on is that's we I think we underrated how important Lance is to this series. I think we really yeah, did. he's the only guy I talked about this with Josh Lloyd too. Two plugs for Lockdown NBA. Listen to it. Um, but yeah, Lance is the only guy in the league who can get a LeBron skin. I have no idea how he does it. I think Draymond can too a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Which is because they're, I mean, again, they're kind of that same kind of mold. I think Tim was obviously a better player overall, but they're kind of that kind of trash talking, nonstop mouthing, kind of always kind of poking you, putting your hands on you kind of thing. But, you know, at some point, right, LeBron has to lose it. I mean, he can't keep his calm all the time, or at some point, it's got to get under his skin. And hopefully, as long as Lance can stay out of like any retaliatory things, it, it will be effective. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what you always worry about with Lance is him just going one step too far, especially he, against LeBron. He does seem like this year he is a little more – not I don't want to say matured because well, maybe that's the right word. He's matured a little bit in a sense where he knows how to bother LeBron without taking it too far. I think he knows he has to mature after being out of the league basically for a well, year. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is this team has a different identity. Their identity isn't – like the old Pacers team identity was like, we're just going to be complete a-hole a to you. We're going to hit <laughs> you every – I mean, it was the David West like – we're going to do every little dirty thing. That's how we play. This Pacers team is more like we're we, we're like a team and we're the fun team. We're not the dirty team. We're the team everybody in America is going to love once they know who we are. Like there's not the same identity. So I think he's got to had to adapt to that. But I think he's also been pretty good at not like, you know, he knows LeBron is better than now. He accepts that. But he knows how to like sort of poke him just enough where it's maybe making it a little closer. Yeah, definitely. I, I again, I don't know how he does it, but he seems to do every game. Um, and the, the facial graze was really funny uh, in the first quarter. Um, but yeah, he, he he loves guard. I think so. I think part of it's Atlanta just loves guarding him. Uh, I think that makes him more intense and more appealing to watch in that matchup. Um, but it's definitely something to monitor going forward too, because you know somehow Le- like LeBron killed him with two spin moves and back-to-back possessions too. Like that's well, that, something that's gonna happen. Exactly. So LeBron. Like, if LeBron's pissed. He's just gonna go right at this dude, and he's clearly better. But, like, I would rather LeBron just go at him for twos nonstop because if you're just trading buckets, that's what you want to do. Especially when you have the lead they have, just keep trading two-point buckets all day long. Who cares? Yeah, that's fine. Go for it. Don't don't let LeBron – I think the thing with LeBron is don't let him kill you for threes because that's also just momentum flipping. Like, LeBron's a layup, it's a layup. But LeBron keeps kicking out the guys for threes. That just flips momentum in a way that's just hard to – Hard to get back from, and they they almost it almost happened. They almost let Jr. just hit, keep hitting threes, and that almost killed them. But luckily, they were able to kind of stem the tide. Yeah, Vic stemmed the tide. <laughs> yeah, that's what we talk about next. Vic, Vic brought his playoff A game. Um, I don't know about you. I wasn't. I wouldn't say worried, but I was like, well, this Vic thing happened for seventy five games now. Is he? Is this a regular season thing, or is it going to be a postseason thing? And he just brought it. He just came out. He hit his first. I mean, his his first couple of threes just. He saw the defender pull up. It reminded me of like pre-December Vic. I tweeted this out where he was just pulling up all the time and nailing threes, and that was felt like this game. He was awesome. He was so awesome. Yeah, the pull-up threes is especially the thing. Well, was it when he like 50% for forever? And, so uh, so I, I looked it up. From the start of the season to December 1st, he was 49% on pull-up threes. Oh, my gosh. That's which crazy. is insane. It's an insane <laughs> number. 
I mean, like, like most guys don't even shoot 40% just from any threes to pull up and hit half of them. All is insane. Yeah. Uh, he, yes, it is. And in this game, he probably did over half. He was 69 and I bet most of them were pull-ups. Yeah. And you, let's be honest. We, we all know a guy who you play basketball with is, is better at shooting when he's kind of running towards the hoop and pulling up. Like there's guys that just are better at, at doing that and like doing that more because it's good for their rhythm. And he's seems like one of those players who just likes to be in like the constantly moving shooting mode. Not, you know, not like a, He's not a great stationary three-point shooter. I mean, he's probably fine giving the corner three, but like he seemed like he's better when his legs are kind of going against like immediately stop. You see a lot on his two-point shot too, where he can kind of like drive in and pull up like real quick on one second and shoot, and he make, makes that a lot too. I love those ones where he catches like a step behind the three-point line and he takes a dribble to size up what's happening. And while he's doing that, the Cavs switch who's guarding him, and he always just shoots right in the middle of the switch. And he did he did a great job of immediately like a couple times he's recognized the switch right away and he just really just went right at it and faked the guy to go back and pulled up from three like yeah there was yeah. a one time where he like overdid it where he like got it in like really rushed it took too far of a three-point shot but his decision making all day from three-point was like if he saw like he must probably was told if you got the switch and you're open just pull up and shoot I, if he shoots if he shoots 75 percent of his free throws they win by 20 and score 100 points yeah, that was the disappointing part for him. He's his free throws, and they're not even like that bad. They just seem to like roll in and out every time. Yeah, they, like, yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird thing for a guy who shoots seem like incredibly well from the free throw line in, in a normal game. Like when he's shooting his jumper from the free throw line, it goes in all the time. Oh, for sure, exactly. That's why it's so weird that it doesn't go in. You know, and hopefully that won't come back to bite them. But I'm I'm worried that one game it will this series. I agree, and I'm also worried that Collison's um like elbow shot that he loves will never fall this series. I'm not as worried about that. I think Collison's well, first of all, LeBron's gonna guard Collison, he's not gonna have a great series, but it's <laughs> what it is. I no mean, chance that continues though. Yeah, I don't know. That I'm, was odd. I'm sorry. That just just dumbfounded me still from the start. I just couldn't believe they just they basically I LeBron, can't wait to hear what Chris has to say. I think I, I don't know if that was a Ty Lue or LeBron thinks like, oh let, let me be there. But also Vic, when they started double teaming him, he finally figured out how to beat it a little bit. This was a thing that Caitlin yeah. talked about early in the season and on when I had her on, on Friday, where it's like he, he finally, like, there was one especially play where Sabonis is in the game where he's, the double team came to him and got to Sabonis, and Sabonis is such a good passer that he found Bojan in the corner. But, like, Vic finally kind of figured out that if they're going to come at me both, just kick it out. Get rid of it quickly. He kept, he kept dribbling. You know, that was the problem he had a lot during the regular season is he'd get doubled, and he'd stop and pick up his dribble and look for the move. He kept his dribble so he could move around and get a passing angle, and that helped him a lot. And he did that one time where he pulled up a dribble and he got double teamed, and then it was like a crazy ball popped out and it went all over the place. And that was just like a terrible sequence. But Pacers also did a better job of as soon as he got double teamed, you would see a guard come out to the corner, and then you would see either Thad Young or whoever was playing forward cut to the rim. So they they knew they could get the extra get the pass inside the lane if Dick was double teamed for an easy layup instead of taking some like long three from Corey Joseph, who's I think a thirty five percent three point shooter this year. So it's like you rather have the easy bucket. Yeah, exactly. And I think they're going to continue to look for that. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about just some of the miscellaneous players before we look towards game two. Um, so we should probably talk about Miles Turner for a little bit, who had 16 points. And I good, thought actually good game. had a good game. He did exactly what he needed to do. He was a threat from th- the three. He only took two, but he was a threat from the outside to shoot constantly. He had that like, great three to close at, close at the half and really kind of another thing with momentum is sort of just <laughs> uh, ter- terrible rebounder miles turner led the team in rebounds oh okay i, I was like you were something <laughs> <laughs> all right who are you who are you directing that at what shot who are you directing that shot at uh the entire internet okay because i'm on the same i'm not i mean i think it, wide casting that of people who think he's a bad rebounder 
Yeah, I'm, I don't think he is. <laughs> I know you don't. I'm not coughing at you. I know. I just, <laughs> but uh, I did think that three at the end of the half was huge. It just sort of oh, completely pushed the momentum back towards the Pacers' way. That my favorite thing about you know his first three was that wing three that didn't quite go in. Um, is that he did not hesitate on either one. He just took it. That's no, he he seemed like he had experience playing in the playoffs. Like a guy who has oh a guy who wait he's been in the playoffs for three straight years. Like a guy who knew what he knew his shot where to go and knew actually how to be in the playoffs. And then that block was incredible. Oh, the block was so incredible. <laughs> that also changed momentum of the game. It was probably an eight ten point game, and that made it kind of also put it away somewhat in the fourth the quarter. The most Miles Turner thing ever changing the game of the block. Yeah, I mean, it was also, I mean, Nance palmed the ball and he knocked it out of Nance's hand while he was trying to dunk it. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, man. I like when Miles is this good. Yeah, he he also before the game, if you listen to his, or maybe it was early in the week, his pregame media stuff, he just, he has a new confidence in him that we saw earlier in the year and now it's good to see in the playoffs. He has this sort of like airs, like he realized he deserves to be there because he is really like a really good NBA player. I think before he used to kind of, he was young and naive and, I don't know what it was and nervous, but now he seems like got some confidence. You know, he's he's the longest tenured pacer for some reason, which is by, insane to by think about. Round, by one round. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think of, but he is. And so it's now like, I mean, actually, isn't Joe Young the longest tenured pacer? But he got drafted the same day, remember? Oh, damn, that's <laughs> insane. But he <laughs> just he's the guy who who has looks like he's played LeBron in two playoff series now. Or yeah. playoff series. like he he he's not actually afraid of LeBron either. He knows how to play D on LeBron a little bit. Like it's just it's all these little things where he didn't need to score 30 points. 16 and eight was a fantastic form because he did every other little thing right in the way that Thad Young does his little thing right. And that's, it was just, I was very encouraged to see because it's what we, if we get this Turner the whole series, this, this could be an, it could be a six game win for the Pacers. I think every single person said the X factor was Turner and he played great. So good. Yeah. I want to shout out that Caitlin was the first one on that. Yes, she was. She, she wrote an article probably Wednesday or Thursday. And then there was some indie star article that was like that, or a video. Jonathan me Jonathan Matthews had uh, part of his how the Pacers beat the Cavs had a, a Turner section in there. Yeah, the uh, the new Pacer writer had a Miles Turner one. I'm sure he yes, just yeah, Michael. Yep. Yep. So I I would say Gabe was on that first. You can people can have the same ideas. It happens all the time. And trust me, we not there's only so much to write about. So everybody has the same kind of thoughts. But Gabe was the first one on that, and that, that was a really good article. I thought it was very good. I loved her speech bubbles. Nine one one emergency. I'm coming. <laughs> And I also thought Turner um, did a nice job of when he was getting pulled out by Love a little bit, or when he was getting pulled out Turner on some shooters, he still was doing enough hedging where he could help protect the rim. Yeah, he definitely was. Uh, he did it. They and Kaylin wrote about that shocker um, that he would hedge and be important, and he did a great job doing it. Um, so I think if we hit every, every player now, or every player we, that we think we need to talk about, I don't I mean like Joseph's a bonus. We can kind of those were kind of okay games. I thought the bonus was a mixed bag of good and bad at times, and Joseph was pretty good on D, I thought. Yeah, Joseph did uh, not play great on offense, but he played good on D. So that's all it is for me. Yeah, I did like how – I think we got lineup, everybody. I, did, I, I probably said it already, but though they kept Joseph and Sabonis into like the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and that lineup was somewhat effective, and it gave Collison and Turner a nice little breather. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was good. Yeah, we should probably say all the starters played over 30 minutes, which is what you expect in the playoffs, but – I don't know. They didn't look winded or anything. This team, you could tell, uh, Mark Jackson said it, but you can tell this team practices pretty hard just because the way they they always are closing out on shooters and the way the guys never seem to not stop running it. You could tell they like, or at least in, they've been doing a lot of conditioning work this year. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I like, I feel like every time Oladipo's at the free throw line, they zoom in on his face and he's panting. 
<laughs> yeah, but then he just he always said that thing where he puts his hands on his knees and breathes for a second, and then he gets back up and he runs down the whole court. Like, yeah, almost yeah. Every, like, <laughs> the next play, I'll steal the ball and make a coast for a coast steal, or whatever. Um, do does does his steal game thing extend in the postseason? Or is I don't know. Regular? I don't know. That's a good question. I was wondering that. I was thinking that before the game. What was it at, at the end of the season? Do you remember? Was it seventy two? No, sixty two. I thought sixty two. Are you sure it wasn't more than that? Uh, no, I'm not sure at all. Uh, I, I don't know. Kind of what, stupid thing. <laughs> I think I think I think it's stupid, but it's kind of a fun thing to track. It's fun, you know I mean? but it's not like a a big deal if that makes no, sense. But it's it's a fun thing to track. I think it's it's fine. It's not like a. Well, I'm not gonna knock you for having fun doing whatever they want. Yeah, I mean that's part of the NBA is recognizing just like cool little like trends that are going on. I don't know. I thought it's I think it's cool. I think I think your I think your your purest NBA stat brain is like oh, oh steals please. don't matter whatever. Oh, steals do matter. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't think that's. Uh... <laughs> No, but if you were being honest, you would say steals are not a good indicator of how good your defense is, right? Oh, absolutely not. And I agree with you, but I think, and that's where you kind of think, oh, the steal streak doesn't matter because it doesn't matter, doesn't show how good of defense are you, are good are you are defense, but like it does a little bit, I think for Oladipo. I mean, steals are part of his whole repertoire of why he's so good on D. Uh huh. Yeah, and especially in this game, he had that one where I don't know how he kept the ball in bounds. Oh, that was when he stole from LeBron and like yeah. completely slid across the floor, but planted his foot. Yeah, I mean, he does it a lot though, where he's able to like basically steal a ball and not end up. Retains whole momentum out of bounds. He's he's a really good like quick step or a quick pivot kind of guy. You see on when he shoots too, where he can just kind of pull pull up very quickly. Comes around the screen, immediately faces the basket. Yep. Yeah, he does a good job of that. Um, let's let's move on to talk about game two and just so I think you should save most of it for Tuesday. Okay, so let's do this. Um, let's do two things the Pacers could have done better, and two things the Cavs could have done better, and that could be better in game two. Just okay, they both shot 60% from the free throw line, so they both could do that better. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So then that's uh, the- my biggest. Can I can I have a biggest one? Sure, your biggest one. The bonus needs to foul less. There's a reason he was the biggest negative on the team, and that's because the Cavs were at the line the most with him out there. He fouled five times, which kept his minutes down. Um, and I think that if he can improve there, especially that just indicative of his defense, um, I think that will help a lot. He was also out there during that third quarter stretch that they yes, went on like a 13 1 run. That was him. And a lot of it was him. He fouled Kevin Love on the three or didn't close out on him, and he fouled LeBron a bunch. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you. Free throws for sure for the Pacers need to do better. I would also say – I was looking at the bonus, but I would probably say they need to figure out how to get Collison and Bojan some more – I guess Bojan had plenty of open looks when I think about it. But they need to figure out how to get Collison some more open looks, especially if LeBron stops guarding him. Collison, if Collison's three-point shot is falling, I'm not sure this team can, can actually be beat because he that's like such an important X factor that it's – and if that thing's falling like – he goes four of six in a game. That's going to completely just demoralize the Cavs. Oh, completely. I agree with that. That's a good one. Because people always kind of underrate him. Like, there's like this, you know, people like, oh, Collison, he's a journeyman point guard, whatever. But this year, he's been really, really good. Like, he's been a top 10 point guard this year, and nobody talks about it that often. And so, you know, I think a lot of teams kind of sleep on him a little bit. And hope maybe the Cavs aren't. That's why they put LeBron on him. Apparently, they must think he's so good that he needs LeBron on him. But, you know, I think at times you, when Collison beats you, it's like tomorrow. Like it's like, how did this six foot one guy who's thirty one years old that's played in nine on five different teams just beat us? Yeah, he was he was awesome. He really was. I remember I said I think my second um, key factor was does Darren Collison outplay George Hill? And hell, did he today? Yeah, George Hill it was bad. Um, you want to do two things the Cavs need to do better? Uh, yeah, free throw shooting. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Cop out. Whatever. Take it. It's fine. Same thing. Uh, that's not my one. Um, one is not play Jeff Green twenty six minutes. Okay. He was, um, he was 0 for 0 for 7 in the field. Terrible. terrible. Big old zero. Yeah. 
uh, George Hill was awful too. So either him being better or limiting his minutes. Yeah, they only played 18 minutes, so maybe that wasn't a big deal. So your number one thing is lineups. They need to figure out how to get yes. the right guys out with LeBron. Okay. What's what's your? Do you have a second one or no? You want to? Um. Do I have a second one? It's probably three point shooting, right? The Cavs just need to hit yeah, their open yeah, threes. Yeah, yeah. More shots. Yeah, I think with the Cavs, it's. I, I'm reluctant to say play Tristan Thompson, but they need some kind of rim protector. I mean, the Pacers were killing them in, in the in the lane. Yeah. Um, I forgot who tweeted it, but somebody was saying, like, basically the Indiana figured out that if you just keep attacking the Cavs, they don't really play that good defense inside when the around the rim. They just don't. And Vic, you saw it with Vic was getting literally every time to the rim when he wanted to at times. They were trying to man him up, and then there were times the guys were cutting, and you saw Lance do it a lot. Lance just kept pounding, and Lance had a little more ability just like, Bully his way to the rim was just doing it a lot. It felt like, yeah, he was. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I think I agree with you. Three point shooting, they got to they got to hit their open threes, or they got to figure out if Corver can't play, they got to play Jr. a lot more, and they got to they got to just put four shooters who are actually going to hit their threes around LeBron. Jeff Green is just not that. Jeff Green is bad. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till Jeff Green has like a thirty point game, and we just have to <laughs> eat, eat our words because there was a game against Philly this year. We had like thirty three points. Yeah. So. And Houston, he had a really good game. So this is. To wrap up the pod, uh, after watching Philly play Saturday and watching the Cavs, the Pacers play the Cavs on Sunday, are you a little more happy that actually they're playing the Cavs and not and not Philly? Um, no. Philly looked really dang good, though. It did look really good. I'll give him credit. The first quarter, he played really well, and then the Sixers just killed him the rest of the game. And the Philly looks really good without Joel Embiid. That's the crazier That's part. scary. I think they are a bigger lock for the conference finals than anyone else, which is insane. Well, it's good. Pacers get to avoid them till 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 that round. No, uh, I no, agree. no response. <laughs> okay. <Perfect, Adam. laughs> can I can I make a closing comment to infuriate you and listeners? Um. Yeah, I have another comment I want to say, but you go first. Okay. Uh, halftime in Oklahoma City playoff. Paul George, twenty points out of fifty-four. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, no, but if you look he's, at the trade in the playoffs like i understand that vic was better in regular season but paul george in the playoffs is so good yeah but there's a concern that if paul george is on this team without let's say you just flip vic and paul george i'm not comparing them at all i'm just saying paul george is playing probably don't win 48 games paul george is playing great at this the, the time i am talking right now i know but, but <laughs> vic, vic brought it for 75 regular season games every night vic played he brought he played like he brought his a game i'm not like, comparing them Paul George's last season brought his A game for like 35 of his 60 or 70 games he played. Uh, yeah, he's playing great in this game right now. And, you know, and it's good for him. But I also, we both agree he's going to LA in, a, in two months, right? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, he is going to LA. He's going to center. Which means, which means if he goes to LA, the Patriots 100% win the trade because congrats, one year rental of Paul George to win a playoff series. Uh, we'll see. Um, no, my last comment was Tony, you a couple times. Almost jinxed this game, and I was almost about to just like if I was near you, I would have been the opposite with the JR one. No, but so at halftime, Tony sends a text in this group message where it's like, I'm calling my shot. Pacers win. We're gonna record this. And I'm like, Tony, if they lose this, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet this the screenshot of you saying this, and I'm like every Pacer fan just scream at you. Because I think you cannot not be a Pacer without thinking about them blowing a big league because they do it all the time. So Josh Lloyd, Locked On Fantasy and NBA host, uh, messages me, Adam, and Chris Manning uh, of Locked On Cavs and says, uh, hey, when this game's over, whoever wins, I want to hop on Locked On NBA with me. And then at halftime, I messaged back and said, sure, I'll take care of it 10 minutes after the game. Adam got mad. <laughs> well, I mean, if if you really are a Pacer fan like everybody out there that's listening to this podcast is, we all remember 
the 25-point loss, blow-blown lead last year in the playoffs. We all remember that. That's been back in my mind every time they play the Cavs. And I'm just never comfortable with a lead. I mean, I've just, as a sports fan, I've seen the Pacers blow too many games with 20-point leads. I've seen, I mean, the Colts do the same thing. I just, it's, I never feel comfortable when you have a lead. Momentum is a lot, in this, and especially in playoff games, especially on the road, that crowd gets rabid and players get tight, and I'm just, I get nervous, but, you know what? You know, you know who did who did kind of calm me down was that Vic, the guy in the Paul George trade, who was awesome. Who every time the Cavs made any kind of run, came in and just said, "I'm going to take over this game." Taking over this basketball game immediately. So last, last question, then we can get off. I think we've been on for almost an hour now. Um, did Vic play better than LeBron? Oh man, uh, LeBron's triple double was good. So I don't know. That's close. They were both very good. Okay. No, I, I agree. But LeBron played great. I mean, LeBron. LeBron, his issue was he didn't shoot that well, I didn't think. I saw a also... tweet that cracked me up, though. Um, it was like the Pacers run up by 15 again in the fourth, and someone said, well, now LeBron's going to stat pad for his triple-double, so it looks like it's not his fault. <laughs> that's not that's not fair to LeBron. It's not. It's not. Um, it was funny. Yeah, actually, that was reminding me of one thing I wanted to say to you. Wow, sorry. Lots of last words in this podcast. It's <laughs> we'll see this all year. It's what we do. The last, like, t- 15 minutes, that's just talking about random stuff by the Pacers. Um, no, I, I heard a, cool, a good thing where somebody said – Basically, if the Cavs, the Cavs, you know, this team, once LeBron leaves, is not going to, it's not going to end in a pleasant way. They're going to go down in some ugly, disgusting fashion. And so this could be the start of it. If you think about it, if they lose in five or to the Pacers, this could be like the fashion of just like, just completely just go down because they shoot terrible from three and LeBron gives up kind of thing. And it's like, this could be the end of the Cavs. Like somebody's got to beat this Cavs team. And this, this could be the Pacers opportunity to finally, after eight years of LeBron, just tormenting them, finally have finally beat him ripple effect they destroy the Cavs. lebron goes to philly and the pacers have no chance at the conference finals ever again <laughs> no i think if i think lebron loses this year he's gonna be 33 years old going on 34 he's gonna want to go to a beach i don't think he wants to go to philadelphia i think he wants to go somewhere nice and warm and that could be la it could be houston even it i mean i wouldn't put i put out such into miami possibly even i think as he goes somewhere just like he doesn't want to deal with the the, the roughness he wants to be some place where he can still be the star but that if you lose you can blame somebody else and this team you finally really can't there's no other star exactly there's no there's no Kyrie fall guy there's no all the guys are hurt it's just like LeBron just and this this Cavs team kind of reminds me of the LeBron teams before in his first round with Cleveland they just they had nobody it was him and a bunch of randos and occasionally a good guy like Kevin Love is pretty good but that's about it Kevin Love is really good. I need to bunk the notion that he's not really good. Well, I think he's really good. I think the Cavs just completely marginalized him. I think LeBron does not play well with with uh, forward centers. Let's talk about this kind of preview of game of game two. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm just keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do have a lot to say. We will be back. Um, so Tuesday there's going to be a show with Chris Manning. Tony already teased that. You check out Tony on Locked On NBA. Uh, how long did you go? Ten minutes? Ten? Fifteen minutes? Probably. Uh, about eight minutes. Yep. Oh, eight minutes. Sorry, I was a little little high on that. <laughs> There's a that's on Lockdown NBA with Josh Lloyd. I believe that'll probably come out on Monday too. Um, Wednesday, Tony will be back to preview game two. We'll be back on Thursday to recap it. Uh, let us know if you want us to post these podcasts immediately after the game or the next day. This one's gonna is obviously gonna post on a Monday. We record it after the game, but like it's about seven forty right now. But yeah, let us know because I'm open to both ideas. I just thought Monday people, it's a big Monday's a big day for us. We get a big kind of boost in our our ratings on Monday. But if people want to. Hear us three hours after the game. We'd be happy to do it. Um, if they want us to do a fourth quarter, we would probably do that too for at least one of the games. But yeah, well, we're open to all suggestions. So feel free to sort of tweet at us at Locked On Pacers or at Teased NBA or at Preview Adam Five. Tweet at us, whatever. Send us emails or 
I don't know. We we have a locked on Pacer Gmail. We don't really promote that. Whatever. Do whatever. Say just let us know what you want, and we'd be happy to try. We're open to all ideas. This is our, this is our first playoff together doing this. So hopefully it'll be more than a week long. It seems like it's gonna go at least be a tough series. I don't think this is gonna be the what did Tony call the gentleman sweep when the year started or when the last week? So I think it'll be a pretty competitive series. I think it might go at least six. We'll see what happens. But that's all we got for today's Locked On Pacers podcast. As always, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever in this podcast. As always, we'll be back tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.